Rob, any final thoughts before we hit go, the damn button? Hit the, Let's oh, go. Hit the. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the Pro Edu Podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. In this episode, we are sitting down with Mark Silver. It's just like silver, but with a little bit of a B. It's a B. And it's a more precious element. And we have Rob Grimm. I'm always here. Rob is always here. Rob actually lives here. I, kind of, yeah. He kind of does. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for joining us on this hey. new edition of the video live podcast. My pleasure to join you guys. Yeah, it's nice to sit down and talk with you. Mark, give us the rundown. What, what type of... You're, a, you're an educator. You're a writer. You're an author. You're a photographer. How do you describe yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I've, done, I've done a lot of different things. I started as a photographer when I was pretty young, when I was 12 years old. Uh, I learned from uh, grade school the magic of the darkroom. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I learned, you know, I'd been taking drugstore photographs and you take your roll of film and boy, this really dates me. You take your rolls of film into the drugstore and they'd come back and you had this beautiful vision in your mind of, you know, sunsets that looked gorgeous and black and whites that were stunning. And they came back muddy, you know, tiny. It was so disappointing. (laughs) And then when I learned about the darkroom and how you could master these things, you know, and change them and bump up the contrast and crop them differently, all of a sudden I was a photographer. And uh, literally I started selling my work back when I was 12. So I guess, you know, a pro is somebody who sells something, right? So technically I've been a pro photographer since the age of 12. Nice. You, and, you said that uh, you were learning the darkroom in grade school. What school did you go to where you, they were teaching that in grade school? I know. It actually was kind of off the menu. I just happened to have a teacher who was a photographer. We had an old darkroom that hadn't been used in a really long time, and I you know, kind of blew off all the cobwebs and got it going. But the school, that's a good question because I actually write about it in my in my new book. The school was pretty amazing. Listen, I grew up in California in the just before the whole hippie era exploded. So I was kind of part of that entire culture of, you know, creativity was more important than anything else. Mm-hmm. And there's good points and bad points. I mean, I didn't learn to spell, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> That's overrated. Spelling spell is overrated. Check. Spell check is, is, is a is thing overrated. now. Yeah. You, you know, you got spell check and whatnot. Right. I eventually learned to spell most words. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the whole thing that was emphasized in that education was creativity. So we did all sorts of things. I wrote plays. We did little movies and, uh, you know, design and pottery and whatnot. But the thing for me was I just gravitated to photography. It just became a love affair. I also had an uncle who was a pretty decent photographer. And he one day out of the blue sent me his Rolleiflex. Oh, nice. You know, two and a a quarter square camera. And that was amazing. That opened all sorts of doors for me. It was, you know, 
twin lens, you look down in the camera and take your shot. And I, I took that camera all over the place. I took it to Mexico for a month when I was in high school and came back with dozens of rolls of film. That's a very special to, camera. That's a really that's special a, camera. What high school it's was a, sending you to Mexico for a month? Well, you know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to read this book to get that whole story. <laughs> I'll give you the short story, okay? It's a long story, but here's the short version of it. I um, I went to three different high schools, and um, you know what that means? My, he was a troublemaker. He got kicked out I of one after the. <laughs> I know. Not only get kicked out, I got kicked out from one coast to another because I went from <laughs> California to Vermont. Oh wow. And then my junior year, I went to uh, kind of a prep school in Vermont. I came back to California, and the senior year was really just a rehash of what I'd already learned in the junior year. So I was bored out of my mind. Bad, bad thing for a teenager to hit. Mm-hmm. And I came up with this brilliant idea that I should drop out of high school and take my camera like Jack Kerouac on the road. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, we got to get Bruce Springsteen. We got to get out of this place, right. you know. Um, and my parents, I told them, and they just looked at me like, "No, dude, that ain't yeah. gonna happen." So I racked my brains, and I somehow managed to figure out that I had almost enough credits to graduate after the first semester. I needed one more social studies thing, and so I managed to engineer this kind of project to go to Mexico with just a few other students and spend my last semester of high school working on a kind of a Peace Corps type project in Mexico in the upper, upper mountains above Mazatlan where there were no lights, no electricity, no roads. But I had my Roloflex and I took hundreds of photographs that to this day are some of my best work. Wait. So how did you how did you set that up? Did you have a contact down there? I mean, this is back before the internet. So how are you making these connections yeah. to go to northern Mexico, which kind of seems dangerous as a high schooler with a few other people that you can seems convince? Dangerous how'd... as a full grown adult in this right. day yeah, and age, but let alone then. Yeah. So how did how did you set that up? Well, that was that's again the story in this book. It was um, I happened to know a teacher who had gone down there. Uh, as a biology teacher to study with with a group of students, biology and sociology. And when he was down there, he realized, wait a minute, these people don't even have sanitation. They don't have medicine. We need to do something about this. So he started a program of bringing medicine to this very, very remote village. And I knew about him and I asked him if I could go along. And he said, well, you know, you have to get approval from the principal at the high school and your parents. You know, what's the likelihood of that, right? Right. Sure, Mark, no problem. Just your final semester or senior year in high school, you're gonna go to Mexico, that's no big deal. Anyway, (laughs) I went to, I got my parents to sign off on it if the principal was okay. Everybody was like contingent upon the other person, right? One of those deals. Mm -hmm. And I went to the principal and somehow I pitched this idea to him and I waited and he, you know, he takes his glasses off, he cleans the glasses and I'm like, oh man, what's he gonna do? Like send me to juvie or something because I'm asking for this crazy idea. And he looked at me and he goes, son, I think we could make that work. 
And I was elated. I was out of prison and I was on my way to Mexico. How about that That's for a 17 year old cool. kid? That sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, I had a lot of those experiences and uh, more than I could fit in the book. So that's kind of my background. Was that your first time out of the country? Uh, yes, it was. Well, I'd been to Mexico before when I was 15, but the first time for any length of time. Yeah, I'd been to Mexico for like a week before. So that was the first time. And it wasn't just out of the country, it was out of civilization entirely. So picture this, Mazatlan, is about 800 miles uh, south of the border. And from there, it was a day's Jeep ride. And from there, it was two days on foot. Oh, my goodness. That's how wow. remote it was. Seriously. Super remote. Seriously remote. How and much I film did you part. have with you? Because you you're limited at that point. It's not like you're going to run to the drugstore and pick up a couple more rolls of 220. I mean, or 120. You're in the middle of That's nowhere. That's right. And you got 12 exposures on those yeah. rolls of film. I must have brought 24 rolls, I'd say. Right. And I came back. And, of course, I had to process them all. So, you know, it, it, this is one of my points. And I talk to film photographers about this. We, we always bring this up that, you know, one of, the, one of the flaws of the digital age is people are just pushing the shutter all the time, hoping to get something. Right. You know, a thousand, you know, photographs, a thousand clicks doesn't mean you've got one good photograph. So we were, you know, we learned to be, when we press that shutter, you knew you had only so much film and you're going to have to come back and process it and you're going to have to go through it. And then the good ones you're going to, you're going to make prints of. So I, I had that eye of, okay, that's a good image. And there, obviously I didn't have every image on that roll of film was good, but there were an awful lot that were pretty decent. So that was a great learning experience. And then, and then I had to deal with the language. And then the other, the other thing is the culture. These people hadn't seen cameras before. Mm -hmm. And who was this dude with this box that they're, you know, putting in front of them? So one of the things that, you know, I had to learn, the trick of it was people are very stiff you know, when you when they're not used to being photographed and you pull out a camera, they they stand upright like this and, you know, don't breathe. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the cool thing about the Rolleiflex is I could take the I could take that first shot and everybody's stiff and posed and then roll forward. And I already knew I had it framed and focused and I would look at them, not at the camera and take continue to take shots as they loosened up. And I, right. I actually learned that skill as a photographer because photography, as we know, isn't just about equipment. It's about people. Mm -hmm. And the great photographers really are the people who are able to communicate with their subjects and get the expressions or emotions or whatever they're trying to accomplish. You know, Richard Avedon, incredible photographer, but he was able to draw those emotions out as Annie Leibovitz is, you know, and um, these are some of the people I really admired as photographers and learned to do that early on. So when did you turn from the, the pro 12 year old to the actual pro working photographer? How'd you get out of high school and into into shooting for real? Yeah, so that's another long story, but yeah. um, I went, I did go to the San Francisco Art Institute mm -hmm. to study to be a pro. Annie Leibowitz was one of my classmates there. Oh, wow, that's cool. Oh. Okay. So what was Annie Leibowitz like as a classmate? Was she any good then? 
You know, nobody <laughs> knew each other. It's yeah. like we didn't know. We didn't. She hadn't emerged as Annie Lee. Of course she was not. Just, you know, just, she yeah. was just some chick with a camera. And it's the cool. funny thing is, she wasn't a photography major. She was, I believe, a painting major, and took some night classes as a photographer, and stumbled into the Rolling Stone. The Rolling Stone magazine had just started, started yeah. when she graduated. And they were like, you know, any kind of startup, they were just looking for, who can we get to photograph these people? Right. right? And Annie just raised her hand and showed up. And All right. I, I got to ask, did you ever ask her out? No, she was older than me. She's a couple of years older than me. And again, I didn't. You know, wrong with that. that. And older women are where it's at, man. <laughs> that's, that's true. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, we're not going to talk too much about the I age married an older woman. But... It's all good. Yeah. Hey, I hear you. You know, she was just in a different crowd. As I said, yeah. she wasn't a photography in the photography uh, group. She did. You know, she she kind of gravitated wherever she was. But I did meet her years later, and it was like the old homecoming. Mark, so great to see you. You know, it was really yeah. awesome. Um, so anyway, we you know you kind of like just looked for opportunities. My career path, though, to your point, is kind of interesting because I went off in a completely different direction mm -hmm. and started a uh, ended up running a very successful management company, management uh, consulting company in Silicon Valley. Okay, that's a total departure uh, from photography. Complete departure, and he got kicked out of photography. <laughs> I got kicked out. He I mean, got kicked out to the other coast. Too. Yeah, yeah. See, you're seeing a pattern here. Yeah. This dude was kicked out of things, right? Yeah, yeah. So I like it. I like you it. You guys are like, this is like, you know, interesting. It's like the interrogation is starting to really sink in here. <laughs> I haven't even taken so, my pants off yet, so we're... What's funny is all, well, all then, troublemakers end up in management somehow. You know that? All troublemakers wind up in some sort of management field. It's crazy. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And as the moonshine sets in, we'll have wilder questions. But anyway... <laughs> 2004, 2002, I, my company was really doing well, and I, but I was like wasting away, longing to get back into photography. And that was just about when the digital era was starting to become realistic. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys, you know, you're probably a little young for this, right? Do you, no, you know, are, really... are you kidding? I started my career on four by five and eight by tens. I'm, oh. I've been doing oh, this for over awesome. 30 years, so I'm I'm well versed in the ways of the dark room. I can't even spell eight by ten. You cannot. Cheers. We know this about you. He's never eight shot a roll. Eight by ten. I, you, <laughs> yeah, Rob, I've, I've shoot, shot a ton of film. I There's thousands of film eight down, by ten. downstairs. I know, just relax. That, that counts, Rob. Instax counts. Instax. Uh, yeah. He, Mark, does oh, Instax yeah, count Instax. as film? Yeah, that he, counts as film, right? That is dark room work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> See? Yeah, he sure said yeah. He's the authority figure here. On some planet, yes, that yeah. would count. In in our snobby world that 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 you know Rob and I belong to, yeah. we probably wouldn't recognize. No, we're that, not going to recognize that. But we're not going to rub it in too much. Uh -huh. Anyway, you know the whole digital thing started coming around, and my kids were. Um, one of my sons took a bunch of my prints, scanned them, and started like doing, you know, made kind of a montage out of a bunch of my photographs. And he said, Dad, these are amazing. These were literally hidden away in a box, you know, gathering dust. Hmm. And I thought, that's kind of cool. So maybe I ought to learn this Photoshop stuff, you know. So I just 
you know, got got a few negative scan and started learning Photoshop. And then in 2004, I sold that business, stepped back, and I said, I'm going to go back to being a professional photographer. So I re-entered the world of photography many years later and having to relearn the whole subject. So if you went to school for photography, why didn't you go into photography after college? Were you just kind of tired of it? Oh, I think we oh, we froze, he's frozen. Yeah. He's sorry. We had a gap. You paused yeah. again. Uh, I'll, I'll rephrase that. Oh, okay. yeah. So after university, you didn't go into photography. Why not? Oh boy, you don't have enough time to to know. I got all day, Mark. <laughs> for me, for me to tell you, I just you know I got interested in other things. I guess it's that simple, and. Um, I became more interested in learning things and finding out about people than I was about photography. Just There's probably a lot of reasons why I did that, but suffice it to say, I just steered in a completely different direction. There's a lot of mystery behind Mark. Yeah, I know. A lot of mystery. Everything yeah, like we know, need to fly out there's there. There's a lot of long stories, and he gives very truncated yeah, we answers. need to get out there. Mark, yeah. do you have bunk yeah. beds that would fit Rob and I? <laughs> I have. I do. You guys have. Oh, he's you got bunk beds. Have, uh, Bunk beds and tents. And tents. We're so close to great camping here, you know. You just got to watch out for the mountain lions and the the coyotes. Yeah. uh, Anyway, yeah, so I kind of went in this whole different direction. It wasn't as, I mean, in today's world, in some ways it's easier to get started, in some ways much harder. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at what you can do, for instance, with YouTube, we didn't have that kind of you know, you know, ability to publish our work or even, you know, what we can do now with websites and social media and get your work out instantly. You know, it was a little harder to get your stuff out there oh, God, and to yeah. kind of get to the group. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, and now there's a, literally Instagram, you know, there, there are instant ways to get your work. Insta acts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Insta. See? And, yeah. Not just a hat so, rack, Rob. Not uh, just a hat rack. Yeah, well, pretty close. In a way, for me, it was probably a, a good timing to re-enter as all that stuff was starting to kind of emerge. I mean, uh, YouTube hadn't even been invented then. Facebook was just starting in 2004. But, you know, I kind of got into the whole thing early enough to, to kind of put my foot in the door. And then I, um, I just started doing everything I could think of. I did photo shoots, I did magazines, got some cool magazine assignments, I did uh, exhibits, and then I transitioned, I sort of found out about video and I got very interested in it, so transitioned into video production in 2008, 2009, and that's when I started my show mm-hmm. uh, on photography, and I started interviewing all sorts of top photographers and got around a whole bunch of them. So that's kind of one, been one of my passions ever since. So how are you? Joe McNally. Yeah, yeah. So how are you getting work? How are you marketing yourself if, if you're you know transitioning out of a completely different career? What were you doing to like you know get work and and get money rolling in the door? Just yeah, that was that's the tough part of it. I mean, you know, I, I probably did what everybody else does. You just hustle and you look for work and knock on doors and I went to the local magazine and pitched them an idea for doing a photo essay and they said yes and that led to other work. 
Um, a big breakthrough for me, honestly, was uh, I was doing workshops and you know getting my educators hat on that's that, uh, through you know big big workshops small workshops whatever but um one day a guy who had a had a video podcast shot an episode with me he called it photo walking mm-hmm. and we went out and with the camera and i basically gave my workshop on camera this is 2008 and he published it and all of a sudden, there's all this traction. People are really interested. So we started that as a show, and we got sponsored. Hmm. And that was remarkable. And I got a sponsorship early on without even knowing how to do video production, which is kind of amazing. I literally didn't know how to do it. But fortunately, I had people that I could you know, tap on their shoulder and say, hey, I need you to produce this for me. I need you to show me how to edit it. I need to know everything I can about this. But in the meantime, we got to make this stuff happen. So we went out and shot some kind of pilot episodes. The first one actually was with Annie Leibovitz going through her exhibit Mm -hmm. in San Francisco. The second episode was at Ansel Adams. uh, Actually, the second episode was Ansel Adams' son in Yosemite. And then we went to Ansel Adams' house in Carmel. And then I shot an episode with Chase Jarvis. Chase, um, you know, even then was a, was really pretty pretty hot in the whole yeah, social he was, media. Yeah, he was very early in the social media um, with CJ Live. Very, very and, much. Yeah. yeah. He had all that stuff going on. And I basically just contacted him and said, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like for you to be on my show, which I didn't even have yet. Yeah. And he graciously said, okay. And so we shot an episode up in Seattle, and then I went to SanDisk and pitched the idea of doing a weekly show with them. And kind of like that pitch to the principal I told you about, Mm -hmm. you know, they kind of stood back. And the funny thing is they never said, we're going to hire you. Uh, A few weeks went by, and I got a call from from the guy who was kind of the head of the thing, and he, he asked me if we could meet for lunch. And uh, we met for lunch, and it was a production meeting. It wasn't a wasn't a meeting about whether we're going to hire you or not. It was a meeting about what we're going to start producing. So that was a beautiful thing. And I I went out and interviewed dozens and dozens of fantastic photographers, including Chris Burkhart early in his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great. Um, Joe Joe McNally, as I mentioned, who I re-interviewed last week. Uh, David Hobby all sorts of you know just great photographers and just started that show and then that eventually when i had lots of content i decided well i'm gonna write a book using a lot of this information so i wrote my book called advancing your photography the same title as the show and that kind of got me into the book business i'm kind of curious you're an interesting case in that you grew up in the in the era of film and you know on a on a twin lens and having access to a darker at a very early age but you didn't enter the real commercial market until digital had made its way and the early beginnings of social media what do you think your career would have yeah. been like had you entered during the film days before social media and before digital was like what kind of approach do you think you would have had to getting clients in the business at that time 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I asked myself that question. I I would like to think that I would have sort of made my way into something like Annie did with the mm-hmm. Rolling Stone magazine, because I had enough sort of people that I knew that I, I, I might have made my way into that, because that would be much more interesting to me mm-hmm. than, say, becoming a wedding photographer. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just something I probably wouldn't have done. Right. Um I think I would have been a photojournalist and found my way to, you know, some publication and would just kind of work my way up the food chain. Right. And, you know, that's 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 very likely how I would have entered the whole world. So how much are you shooting now versus, you know, writing, making educational content for YouTube? What's what's your week to week look like? Yeah, I don't shoot as much as I should. Uh, I was just out the other day. I made a little video uh, in Big Sur shooting with my Hasselblad, which I really love. And, you know, it's that same two and a quarter square, uh, single lens, incredible lenses. So I just shot last week some basically kind of promotional footage that really wasn't wasn't like I was going out to nail a, a, an image particularly. Um, but I, yeah, I spent a lot of time writing and doing something in regards to my books and publishing, you know, videos on YouTube. And, and I have to confess to you guys, since you're, you're being good listeners, that I don't choose <laughs> as much as I should. I'm sorry I've sinned. No, that's I've got all right. to pick up that camera. You are forgiven, Mark, and your penance is to shoot two rolls of film this week. And all will Whoa, be forgiven. I, you know, and I've got the film in my refrigerator to prove it. Just sell the rolly? This is... Oh yeah, good. I got the Roly, yeah, and I've good. got the I've got my Leica M2, ah, which I shot with for nice. years, and I've got my Hasselblad, and yeah, and yeah. I've got lots of rolls of film in the refrigerator. This is how you can tell a real photographer: go to their the refrigerator, refrigerator and look absolutely. In there. So, what do you like about teaching? Why are you drawn to it? Yeah, that's funny. How I got into teaching is an interesting story, too. Yeah. So I, uh, I went through a couple of mountaineering schools. Early on, I learned to backpack, and then I went on to mountaineering school where we go into the Rockies and for 30 days at a time and climb mountains and do all sorts of stuff. Then I became a mountaineering instructor, and that's how I entered the world of teaching. Mm-hmm. You know? These students didn't know what they were doing, and I had to show them what to do, but it was under pretty extreme circumstances. Yeah, life or you know, death circumstances. Like life or death. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, not like, well, I messed up the camera. It's like you fall off the mountain, dude. You, you know, that's, <laughs> that's it. You're toast. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> and uh, that's that was how I entered the world of teaching. And I don't know. It just kind of became sort of an instinctual thing for me to mm-hmm. teach. And when I had my management consulting company, I did a lot of workshops for clients. So I did a lot of teaching about marketing and various things, you know, to run in terms of running a business. So it was a really natural thing for me when I re-entered the world of photography to just keep teaching. And I did workshops and I like, um, you know, I like being able to teach through video now mm-hmm. because you, you can you can put it down once and hopefully it's right. And then people can watch it and learn something from it. And I really do enjoy writing books. And I tend to be writing from that viewpoint of teaching something, not 
dogma, not like, hey, this is the way it is, but inviting people to look at it for themselves mm -hmm. and see if it makes sense. And giving them, at the end of every chapter of my books, I, I give them questions, you know, so that they actually have to think about what they just read. And the new book actually gives them action steps. So it says, okay, do this, do that. And if you do these things, you're going to, you're going to improve your area of creative creativity. Mm -hmm. What's your so writing, the, what's your writing process process look like? Do you, you know, spend a whole week doing nothing but writing? Do you, you know, sit down for an hour a day? How do you get the juices yeah, flowing? So when I am in writing mode and it really is just like photography, you know, you have to get in the zone. You have to really focus and, and you, you know, you're not going to just do it kind of half-assed. So when I actually am writing a book, it looks like this. Uh, I have a publisher I work with. We establish, you know, the what the book is going to be about and that it's a viable subject. And then the first thing they asked me to do was write a table of contents, which is a really smart thing. A lot of people go, I don't know how to start writing. What should I write about? Blah, blah, blah. Don't worry about what to write about until you've put a table of contents together. Right. It's like a shot list. It's like it's writing like about what it's going to be about, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was inter interviewing um, Dan Milner the other day, and he's a just fantastic photojournalist. This guy's amazing. And he, he his whole thing is telling stories with his camera. So he gets the story in it, what he wants to tell before he goes out and shoots. Now, he doesn't know what every shot is going to look like necessarily, but he's got the story, Crafted. you know, outlined in his head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So getting back to my process, so write the table of contents and really try to think through, is this a logical sequence of uh, chapters? Does this make sense? And sometimes you have to rearrange it or whatever. But once that's nailed, that's your roadmap. So I would just get up every day and just make sure I wrote usually at least a thousand words, sometimes more, every single day, no matter what. And then not try to edit. Don't go back and do any editing until I'm in editing mode because, again, this is in my book. It goes like this. So first you visualize something, whether it's a photograph or a book or whatever, a film, whatever. you got to have the vision first of what you're trying to accomplish. Then you got to know your tools. If it's a camera, you got to know that camera really well. If it's writing, you've got to get your your you know your tools of writing together. And then you work your craft, which just means you just get into production. You know, one of the worst things that people can do is is just stalling around. They get an idea and they just don't don't go out and do it. Mm -hmm. Get into it and do it. The worst thing that can happen is you get a bunch of lousy photographs that you don't like and you go, well, that didn't work. I need to go out and do it again. And you just push yourself. Same thing with writing. So I would write and not edit until I was done with the entire book and then go back and edit the book and usually edit it many times. And then just stay on it until I've completed it. Now, in my case, I put lots and lots of images in my books. I'm a photographer, so I'm going to use my own images. So then I've got the whole illustration process is a whole new process because mm -hmm. I've got to make sure those images really fit 
And many times, you know how it is, you open up some of those old, the way you process them 10 years ago, maybe it doesn't match what you want today. And it's opening up a little bit of a can of worms, so I go back and reprocess those. And that's, that might take me several months to get all those images lined up. Then it goes to the editors, and I send it out for beta readers to get their feedback because I want to I want to get an idea of what maybe to me something is so common sense that I don't describe it in detail. And the beta reader goes, or just like what you guys were doing, well, how did you get to go to Mexico? Right. You know, instead of saying, yeah, I, yeah, in the senior year of high school, I went off to Mexico, and one of the beta readers goes, what are you talking about? You know, and so then I realize, oh, I better tell that whole story. So then I, you know, kind of go through it again and fill in all those gaps, and it goes through a whole array of different editors. And then one day you get, you know, the happy moment. You get a case of books back, and you go, wow, that was a lot of work. So how long but, does it take you to write a book on average? Is that a year-long process, two-year-long process? What, how it's about six, six, six months. months. All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay. So your new book is called Create Tools from Seriously Tainted, Talented People to Unleash Your Creative Life. Where did that idea yeah. come from? When did it start? Was it, has it been like decades in the, in the making and the thinking? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it kind of has been my whole life story. I've been always interested in creativity. And photography is, is an aspect of creativity. Most photographers I know aren't just photographers. They have other areas... Of, creativity, of absolutely. Creativity. Yeah. You know, Scott Kelby, right? We all know and love Scott Kelby, but you go into his studio and he's got millions of, of guitars. guitars. Yeah. He, you know, he's, he's, he's into music. And, you know, Scott is just one of those. He wrote, uh, we're, we're going to do an interview soon, but he wrote a blurb for the book and he's a very multi creative person. And so I wanted to address the subject. Uh, of creativity, which photography fits into, because I think it's really important as photographers to know that we're creatives. And it's not just about uh, capturing a photograph and making a photograph. It becomes a whole lifestyle, right? You yeah. know, if you're really going to get into it, you you know, you embrace the lifestyle of what it's like to to create something, and that becomes its own art form. So. I've been doing this a long time. I've had this idea for a long time and I just decided, okay, I want to talk about creativity. And one of the things I realized was it can't just be for me and my ideas. I wanted to interview a variety of creative people in a variety of genres to find what was working for them, what, what serious barriers did they run into that they had to overcome. And you know, kind of their whole process, just like you guys are asking me, right. and see if there's some common denominators, which there in fact were. And that was really fascinating. It was a really amazing learning process for me. So well. who are the types of people that you interviewed? Because in my mind, I see this not only fitting photographers and art directors, because art directors are certainly in the same realm, but I mean, furniture designers, there's so many people that are, totally. that are creative. So uh, who, were you, who were you interviewing for this book? Okay, here's the here's the list that I interviewed. So Chris Burkhart, mm -hmm. who is now since you know I interviewed him in 2009, has now become he's blown a, up. 
He's blown up. Yeah. And he's, he's doing tire commercials for God's sake. He's blown up. Yeah. Tire commercials. He's, yeah. I didn't haven't seen I missed that. One. that. Yeah. What kind tire, of tire commercials? Uh, it's uh, like Yak- Yokohama or something. Tires. Wow. He's got. Like Chris is just such an amazing guy, and he's it was rocking. like interesting. Here's the thing, you know, and I got these guys to really tell me the the skinny, you know. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, I'm such a big shot now. I'm like, no, it was more like, yeah, I was a 10 year overnight success. <laughs> you know, that's a great way was, to put it. You know? Yeah. So are it you in? Like, are you into any other arts? You, you know, you mentioned you know, artists having these other passions. Do you do anything like painting, drawing, music, that sort of thing? I do. Yeah, I do play music. I play guitar, not as well as I should or as much as I should. I also play blues harmonica. I used to play in a blues what? band. That's cool. Do you got oh, a harmonica yeah. within reach? Oh, that's a sad thing. I oh. wish I did. I don't. I could probably find one. But yeah, maybe yeah, you could do our good. outro. <laughs> you could do the outro, wow. a little tune at the end. We'll... We'll set it up. Blues, a little blues. Yeah, yeah, there you go. This podcast is getting so good. <laughs> this is all kinds of stuff. You guys are finding out, you know, if you keep this going long enough, you're going to find out all sorts of things sure. about me. That's what we do. But, um, We're beta askers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see that. You guys really dig. This is good. So I write uh, music, design, um, what else? Surf, Surfing I consider an art form. It, it really is because you're you're in the water and it's so amazing to be immersed in the ocean, but not underneath it. You're on top of it and you're seeing things that nobody else gets to see. Have you had any so, close calls of like either sharks or almost drowning in, in the ocean? Jellyfish attack. Those are bad. Bacteria. Flesh eating bacteria. That's a new thing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I've had the near drownings for sure. That's that's a scary thing. When you get held down by a big wave, you finally make it up to the surface, and then the next wave is coming right down on top of you. That's mm. that's a scary thing. Yeah. I tend to I've kind of mellowed out. I don't I don't go under 18 foot waves anymore. Yeah. So, but yes, I have had those. I've had uh, sea urchins in my feet. Mm. <laughs> those little spiny things yeah. that break off. You know. That was um, surfing in the Caribbean. Uh, there was no Sounds way painful. out. Had, it was really painful. Any close calls had, with sharks? You know, fortunately, I'm going to knock on wood. There are sharks out there, but they haven't come after me yet. I must not taste. I'm not the tasting treat that they want. Maybe you have natural shark repellent. Now, we never really finished but, who you interviewed for your book. What type of creatives okay. were interviewed? Let's so here's the that. list. So Nancy Cartwright, who is the voice of Bart Simpson and nine other yeah. characters on The Simpsons. That's cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I love that you got her. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. She is so much fun. She has a story. Every one of these people has a story you, you can't believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith Code, if you're into motorcycle racing, he is he cool runs name. the California yeah, he is a cool dude. He runs the California Superbike School, and he's he's trained probably more motorcycle racers than anybody you can think of, including people like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and all sorts mm-hmm. of celebrities. But he's a very creative guy. Um, Chris McCaskill, who was the co-founder of Smug Mug with his son. Yeah. And Chris has an unbelievable story. He grew up on the streets of Oakland, a really you know, funky kind of 
across the, the bay from San Francisco, yeah. homeless on the streets of Oakland, Wow. homeless, went on to earn his MBA at Stanford, worked for Steve Jobs, and became a serial entrepreneur and a very creative person. That's a pretty That's amazing story. That's what I'm telling story. you, all these yeah. people. So Mark what, Isham what's is the common? Yeah. Go, go ahead. Well, Mark Isham, multi-Grammy winning, award-winning composer, musician. Yeah. So uh, they all have stories, though. What's the common denominator? What do Chris Burkhart and you know a voiceover artist and a motorcycle guy and a um, you know smug mug founder? What do they have in common that that helps them be creative? Yeah. So what they have is uh, probably a few things. One is that urge and desire to break out of. Nine to five. I've been calling it the matrix, mm -hmm. you know, where you just kind of get hypnotized and you wake up one day and you're 60 years old and you wonder what happened to your life. Unfortunately, a lot of people live that way and they don't consider themselves very creative and they just kind of go along with, the, you know, what they think they sh they're supposed to do. All these guys broke out of that. They just said, I'm not going to go that route. I don't care how hard it is. I'm going to. You know, Chris's case, I'm going to be a photographer. And it was tough. It was hard. You know, he had to, like, like anybody else, he had to work it. Mm -hmm. um, Chris McCaskill, you know, his thing was, man, I've seen the worst. So anything from there is just such an improvement. He's just happy every day how and how grateful he is every day to realize all the incredible advantages he has. Yeah. Nancy, Nancy Cartwright, same thing. She lived in Kittering, Ohio mm -hmm. and wanted to got into voice in high school and wanted to be in the voice industry and came to California, went to UCS, UCLA and got a, you know, some, some gigs and just went for it. So one of the things is these guys, Every one of them just decided, I'm not going down that nine to five route. I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to follow my creative urge. And the other thing is they all talk about this, the, those negative voices that are in your head saying you're not good enough, you'll never make it. And then mm -hmm. not to mention the negative people that will say those things too, right? Right. They're not just, they're internal and they're external. And they just, every one of them said, you have to push through that. You have to get past that. You know, you have to not not fall prey to that self-criticism or external criticism. And it's a definite thing that will hit any creative, I guarantee. So those are probably the two common points that I noticed through all these guys. And then, oh, one other thing. They have a vision and they they do something with it. They don't ignore the vision that they have. You know, they don't go, oh, that was a nice idea. I'll go back to something else. They they jot it down in a notebook or they get started on it right away. So they don't ignore those visions, which is really important. What do you, uh, what do they do to quell the voices, you know, all the, the negativity within their own head? Because I think that's a trick for a lot of people you, to, to find that success. You consult the Oracle, oh. right? Ouija board? <laughs> you go to the Oracle. Did you have an Oracle? <laughs> But remember what happened when, when he went to the Oracle. She said he wasn't the one, yeah. even though he, he probably was the one, right? See, there you go. So, uh, and again, you know, you can get, you can get curveballs everywhere in this creative world. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just, you, you, 
to answer that question is really difficult because it wasn't just one thing. But the main thing I think is just the perseverance past it. It's kind of like if you are, you know, you're playing basketball, you're going to, you have all this opposition and you have, uh, you know, the other team hoping you're not going to make the shot and they're distracting you and they're yelling at you and they're waving things. And, you know, you have to shut that out and just stay focused on what your goal is. And that's probably the simple answer to that question. I think you have to not take criticism too seriously because you can show your portfolio to two art directors and one will think it's the bee's knees and the other will think your work is crappy. And it's you're right. the same photographer and your work is the same. It's their perception. So um, you, can't, you can't fall prey to another's perception of who you are or what you're capable of doing. Yeah, and in today's world with social media, you know, we just open ourselves up to any kind of troll. Every uh, kind of troll. <laughs> Every and any who's never produced or created anything in their of their own, but yet is just wonderful at criticizing, and you really have to let that roll off your back. You know, it's just and it's hard, you know, because we care about what we do. And, yeah, that's the nature you know, of being a creative. You care about what you do because it's deeply really, personal, right? Yeah, if you if you work at Burger King and somebody doesn't like the burger, I mean, you're probably not going to take it too seriously. No. You know, you're going to throw that one away and then make another burger. And uh, it's when you enter into the creative world and you really do care about what you do, you're you're opening yourself up. So it's an interesting thing. I had this discussion yesterday with my wife. You know, it's just you have to have on one hand, you have to have a thick skin. But on the other hand, you really do want to be sensitive to what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's kind of an interesting little little dance there. Right. But I don't know any creative that doesn't have. I was I was talking to Joe McNally. I mean, we admire Joe like endlessly, and he was he had, he was pointing out that inside every photographer's head, if they're really going for it, there's going to be some anxiety about did they get it right, and am I you know am I on top of this shoot, and am I really coming home with what I want, and you know that's what that's what makes us push harder right you know so when does your book come out it's out oh it's out it came out i thought it was i thought you just had that we're holding an advanced copy got it well this was but now it as of two days ago it's out it's on amazon congratulations it's on every books in every book place you can imagine thank you that's fabulous came out on my birthday july 23rd happy birthday happy birthday that's cool thank you i'm still celebrating you know yeah. The older you get, the longer you get to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. All right. I like that. Mark, I'm curious, what mistakes do you see photographers, whether they're new or, or seasoned, make the most? I think one of them is, um, you know, forgive me if I'm just going to refer back to my own material because I've obviously examined this, is you have to know there's a what's called a cycle of creativity and there's a cycle of photography and I didn't just pull this out of my own head this was from against my gleaning this knowledge so the first is you have to visualize something and whether it's what do I want to come home with what's my vision of taking this photograph but get it in your own head first the camera is just a tool for recording things Bambi Cantrell who's an incredible portrait photographer wedding photographer said Remember, people take pictures, 
cameras don't. They're just recording devices. So you got to visualize. You got to know your equipment so well that it doesn't get in your way. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a big mistake I see. A lot of people get obsessed with their equipment. You know, they get geeked out about the, they've got to have the latest this or that. And one of the things I miss in the film days is, you know, you could buy your gear and it would last your life. Yeah. And now you have to upgrade all the time because something is changing. But, you know, don't get obsessed with that process. Don't get a, don't just remember it's a means to an end. It's a, it's a tool that you work with. Um, and then just got to go out and shoot a lot. But at the same time, that doesn't mean pressing the shutter a zillion times. It means putting yourself in that, in that environment to, to find images or to create images a lot and way more than most new photographers realize. So those are some of the key things I would recommend they, they really work on. How has online photography education helped you throughout you know, the last five, 10 years? Is this something you're, you're watching other tutorials, you're learning from other people still, you still out there learning and hungry for what others are doing? Yeah, I tend to use uh, online learning when I run into something I don't know how to do. The internet is an, obviously an amazing place to learn things, but you can also run into curveballs. So you gotta kinda keep your eyes peeled yeah, for the misinformation that's it's out there. There's a lot of bad information out there right? for sure. So speaking of the internet, yeah. as we wrap this up, where would you like people to go on the internet to learn more about you and your books and your tutorials? you got a lot of different websites. Yeah, well, the easiest place to go is to go to silverstudios.com mm-hmm. because once you go there, you're going to find... You takes you to YouTube. It'll take you to my books. It'll take you to my blog posts. It'll take you to my own personal photography. So silverstudios.com is the easiest thing to do. Well, thanks. Amazing. Thanks for tuning in. Hit the and outro. You hit the outro. Get it? I can't. It's you could. It, Rob's got alligator arms. Over there. <laughs> can't, can't quite get there. <laughs> They're T-Rex arms, buddy. I'll hit it. I'm gonna hit it. Pro EDU is now unlimited. Get access to every single tutorial. Sign up at proedu.com today. I don't know about you, I'll take comfort in that. This podcast.